0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thessalonians tonight, once again. First Thessalonians chapter 4, before we turn over there, or before we go live, or are we already live? That's all right. Okay, never mind. Uh, no, I was just going to say a couple of things that I had, you know, w- one of the great things I just... Think about in terms of communication, I've, I had the opportunity to communicate with the, um, the design team, but this is just thinking about a couple of things that no matter what team, like I said, I've got a list of uh, teams and, and things where people can get in and serve and use their gifts and so forth. But the goal of every team, what's the goal of every team? What's the goal of the design team? That's kind of where I started on, uh, on Wednesday. And when we talked about that, it's like it's not about colors, It's not about schemes, it's not about, it's not even about getting something done. But what it is about is glorifying and honoring God. And what it is about is furthering the mission of life and that more abundantly. And if you come to any, if you come to any meeting or involved in anything here, that's number one. That's the main thing. And then just like a couple little principles that we mentioned as well, uh, again, this is church as well as every other team represented because the the way they work. But uh, a couple of things that that we always keep in mind is that it's people over projects. People over projects. And I would say people over performance. People over performance. Um, You know, and some of you have have been involved where there's a hard-driving pastor or hard-driving leader, and uh, by golly, we got this done, and we got it done right. And there's two or three people off crying in another room, but boy, it sounded good. You know, when the choir got up to sing it, it not one note was missed, not one sour note. Uh, But there were some sour notes leading up to that, right? Or whatever, it's like, no, it's people over that, and that's the main thing. And so we'll talk a lot more about some of those things in the days to come very soon. Uh, But today I want to look in 1 Thessalonians and look about uh, the glory of God, living for God's glory and we uh, started last week and looking in this chapter, and I want to or sorry, the week before last. Last week was Thanksgiving. But let's begin reading in verse number 1 of chapter 4, and we'll read all the way down to verse number 12. And here's what the Bible says. Furthermore, then we beseech you. You know what? Like, let me stop there, because we've got a furthermore, and I'd like to go back and get what comes before the further. So let's start in verse number 11 of chapter 3. Now God Himself and our Father i not turn that off. I think that's too much. Now, God Himself and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way into you, that ye, that the Lord make you increase and abound in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now, chapter four, verse one. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And I'm just emphasizing these once again. Chapter 3, verse 12 talks about abounding, increasing and abounding. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, or I'm sorry, of chapter, chapter 1 of chapter 4 says that you would abound more and more. Verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave unto you, gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye ought... Or indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet, and that you do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing." And so we'll stop right there, and we're going to try to cover as best we can all these verses, especially considering that we've covered most of them the last time we were in chapter number four. But, you know, our lives are made up of steps. We are reminded here that he talks about that you may walk, how, how you step, how you walk. And we, we talked a good bit about that. It's just one step at a time. How do you get from here to the where you're going? It's just one step at a time. And the Christian life is the same way. It's lived in steps. And you may not be exactly where you want to be yet, but take a step in the direction that you want to be. Take a step in the direction that God wants you to be. And then take another step in the next step. And uh, you do that on a daily basis, and it helps us to get where God would have us to be. When we walk to please God, it brings glory to God, and it brings blessings to our lives. We emphasized it already a little bit. He, we, he wants us to abound. We read those verses. He wants us to abound in love one toward another. He wants us to abound more and more. He wants us to increase more and more. God's way, God, living for God's glory, is also living for your good. It really is. Living for God's glory is living for your good because God wants us to abound. He wants us to abide. And again, we covered that last time, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. But in chapter 3, verse 2 of First Thessalonians, he says to establish you concerning your faith. Chapter 3, verse 13 says to the end, he may establish your hearts. So the idea that we walk by faith and not by sight, we don't walk, you know, we, we, we don't walk up and down depending on what the circumstances are and what, depending on what's going on in our lives. We walk, we abide in Him. We're established concerning our faith. We're not blown about with every wind of doctrine. We're not up and down in our lives as Christians. The world is up and down. And I know that we have some ups and some downs. But the thing is, is that we don't let all of that dictate where we are in our walk with God. He establishes us. We don't allow that to blow us out. We stay walking with Him established in our faith, established in that which God has given us in that which we believe based on the Word of God. He wants you to abound. He wants you to abide. And then we looked at last week, this walk, this living for God's glory. How do we do it? We do it in in holiness, in holiness. And I wonder, what comes to your mind when I say holiness? What comes to your mind when I say holiness? What did you say, Nathan? Okay, a priest. Somebody said Jesus. That's a good answer. What's that? The throne of God. Okay. Uh, I hear another one? Thank you. That's where I go. Uh, and it may just be because I was raised down south. And, uh, and there's Pentecostal holies. She said Pentecostal ladies. And, and I could just imagine the beehives and Ralph, uh, right? Uh, you know, and uh, I mean, I, I could just see all that too. Isn't it gross when you actually have to grab a pen that somebody's been chewing on? Who does that? Like, take it with you. Uh, is that yours? <laughs> uh, okay, but, uh, but, but that's right. I kinda, I'm kind of like Melanie, but I don't know where your heart goes or your mind goes, but God walk, tells us that we are to walk holy. He says it in verse 13 of chapter 3 that, you, that he's established your hearts in holiness. And, uh, but what, does anybody know what holiness means? How would you define holiness? Yeah, like Jesus, uh, God's perfect standard. Uh, I would say walking in holiness, it it calls the idea of this. Think about this. There were vessels. I think this is a good illustration. There were vessels used in the temple and in the tabernacle. Those vessels, I mean, they're like pitchers and, you know, candlesticks, things like that. Candlesticks and pitchers, there's nothing unusual about a candlestick and a pitcher. There's looking glasses. There's all these other things. People had that kind of stuff. But these were holy to the Lord. Why? Because they were set apart. They were set apart from the other things that were used just for common purposes. These were being used for a sacred purpose. These were being used for... uh, These were holy unto the Lord. And then therefore, the priest was then holy to the Lord because he was set apart. And he was saying, I'm dedicating my life to the service of the Lord. And so the idea of us being established in holiness, and the idea of us being holy people, is the the, the thought that we have been set aside by God. Uh, so we have been set aside by God, and then in in a uh, in but in a practical way, we need to live that out to be holy. Now he and I'll say this: a holy walk is a happy walk, because there's something to me about holiness that also sounds very strict very uh orthodox there's something about holiness holiness don't sound fun to me I guess is what I'm trying to say all right what's that robotic but it's not that's that's the wrong idea because if it's God working holiness in my life and it's just me being set apart for God if it's me just trying to line up and say this is the path God wants me to be on, He wants me on a path of holiness. He has a, a special path of separated that's been picked out for me, <clears throat> folks. That's not a drudgery. That's going back to what you know re- I repeated earlier. That's going back to life and that more abundantly. That's what that is. So holiness is happiness. It really is. And I've used the word happiness just because holy happy, but. You know, it might be better stated to say it is joyous to walk in holiness and to live in holiness and to be set apart and embrace the fact that we've been set apart for God Almighty. And then he goes on to talk a little bit about some of these things. Verse 3, for instance, he says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And that's primarily where we focused last week, abstaining from fornication, you know, I would say that it's a very interesting thing to me that when you begin to look at the list of sins in the Bible, how often in the New Testament, when he starts warning about the sins, whether it's the sins of the flesh or the sins of this day or whatever it is, so often they start with sexual sins and perversion. Sometimes it'll be like the the first three of the list. It'll be be adulteries and fornications and and uncleanness and all of those referring to some sort of sexual either sin or perversion. That tells you something about mankind, doesn't it? And you don't have to look too far to see it, but uh, God Almighty created... Uh, the relationship, he, he created man and woman. He created the, the, the relationship between a man and a woman, the intimacy between a man and a woman, to be enjoyed between a man and a woman and the bonds of holy matrimony. All created, God made it the way that, uh, that He's made it. And remember, if you think about it, it was, besides, the, of course, creating the earth and things, the first people He created, He created for them to be married. The very first thing God did, He created a man, then He brought along a woman and said, we're having the first marriage ceremony right here in the Garden of Eden. And and I'm establishing an intimacy between you. And I've established this to where it's not just like these animals out there, that there's actually an affection and a love and and a coming together, the Bible says, that that takes place when a man and a woman come together together. It's one of the reasons that the Bible warns about fornication is the Bible says fornication is a sin against your own body. You're sinning against your own body when you commit fornication. The Bible says that you're joined together with the person that you're intimate with. And so that's why the, 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 the ideal way and the most beautiful way the world tries to glorify and magnify adultery and fornication but God, within the bonds of marriage, that's where true joy and fulfillment is truly found between one man and one woman in holy matrimony. But he says that you should abstain from fornication. And, of course, we took some time a couple weeks ago to talk about how that we found out that the word fornication comes from the word porneos, where we get the word pornography from. And we talked a lot about pornography if you'd want to go back and listen to that message. But... This, he starts with this, and so he wants us to honor God concerning our bodies. So God's plan is to make us holy, and here's what it entails. Verse 3, you could paraphrase, paraphrase verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. You could paraphrase that by literally saying that God would have us to make a clean break with sexual immorality, because the Greek society that these people were living in, there's a couple things that we're going to talk about about the background about this Greek uh, society. The first thing is it was very perverse, very uh, lic- uh, uh I wish those were between us and not recorded sometimes, but I'm uh, uh, not going to try to go for A lot of license, and there's a licentiousness. I can say concupiscence, by God. At least I got that one down, all right? Forget about the other one, but... Uh, Huh? Well, lasciviousness, I, I, that's another one. But it was very, it was very uh, uh, you know, open. So there was that problem with the society that these people lived in. But then there was another problem, too, that manual labor was generally frowned upon in the Roman Empire. Now, why would manual labor generally be frowned upon in the Roman, Roman Empire? They had slaves for that. Half the people you would see in the Roman Empire were slaves. So people did not have to do manual labor. Slaves did manual labor. And I, you say, well, aren't slaves people? Yes, they are. But I'm talking from a Roman perspective. They were not people. They were property. They did so, so that was frowned upon. And, and that actually plays in here in just a moment as well. Uh, but it was, a very, it was a very perverse society that they lived in. And so what he says here, look at verse... Uh, as he he goes on down here in verse number three, or verse number four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Sanctification is is kin to that word holiness. It has the idea of being set apart as well, and honor, all right? And so here's what the Bible says. So we need to honor God concerning our bodies. We need to have have a holy walk with God concerning concerning our bodies. And the vessel, possessing his vessel, carries the idea of controlling our bodies. Because the Bible says that our bodies, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the vessel is a reference to the body. So he says you need to know how to possess your vessel in honor. And so possess his vessel means control his body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is the context, once again, of fornication. So God frowns upon that. You know, we really live in a time that's interesting, don't we? I've been thinking, and you, you, we are living in a post-Christian society. We're we're living in a time, there used to be a time to where it was that people more than not held on to Christian values just as a common practice. But we're getting further and further away from that. And and then it makes people ask those questions like, why marriage? Who really cares? Why wait? What's it really matter? When you don't have the moral framework of the Word of God that's influencing society, uh, you get what we have today. And so. We are dealing with people from a different frame of reference than we would have been even, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's a different frame of reference with people because they do not consider or know or care what God has to say. All this holiness stuff, all this God stuff, that's just all antiquated, you know. Uh, what, what, what we're taught today is that we're just, you know, the science just says we're all a bunch of animals and we just uh, live, live any old way. And what's right to you is right for me, or what's right for me is right for me. What's wrong for you is wrong, and, and you just make up your own truth as you go. But folks, that is absolute ridiculousness, is it not? Uh, and 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 they say that until it affects them, don't they? Uh, that uh, you know, who, who's to say these? Who's to say these mass shooters? Maybe that was right to them. Maybe that was justified to them, and if you go by the way they've been taught. They have been taught that, hey, if it's wrong for you, it's wrong for you, but if it's right for you, it's right for you. You know, truth is relative, it doesn't matter, uh, well, that's what you get, it, it's, but it's, it's, it's utter ridic- ridiculousness, but it goes back into the, the part of the body being a temple of the Holy Ghost of God. He warns here uh, about a word that I can say, and it feels good saying this word, it's kind of like saying Francisco or something. But it's the word in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, concupiscence, not a word that we use every day. He says, even as the Gentiles, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, the the word concupiscence just simply means the most simple definition will be lust, but it's beyond lust. It's lust, it's unlawful or irregular desire of sexual pleasure, but in a more general sense, it's the coveting of carnal things. So concupiscence goes beyond just perversion. It goes into coveting of carnal things or an irregular appetite for worldly goods. It's the inclination for unlawful enjoyments. So concupiscence is just all manner of lust uh, that, that are not godly, ungodly lust. And when we say lust, remember, lust means desire. There's, there's, in, in the book of Galatians, lust is used in a positive sense. Because it's, it just means desire. And it says that the spirit, it, it lusts, the, the, the spiritual man lusts after the things of the spirit, desires the things of the spirit. But in this sense, it's lusting after things that are ungodly and unlawful. And there's a covetous nature to concupiscence. So. Uh, that's one thing he's... He, so, he, so that's where it goes into this next part. Notice verse number 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. We also have forewarned you and testified. So we need to honor our bodies, but we need to also honor our brother. Honor our brother. Defraud not. Now... The word defraud basically speaks of uh, deception. It speaks of... uh, And I'll give you the context, okay? As I've already mentioned, for the most part, the people that Paul would have been writing to despised manual labor. Because most of the work was done by slaves. But now, what about Paul? Did Paul believe in manual labor? Yes, he did. What did Paul do as as a side hustle? He was a tent maker. He, he made tents on the side. And, and what we find out is that he, people knew the places he went, he would work. if he, When he needed to, if he had the opportunity, he would work with his hands. And again, to us, we don't think much about that. But you've got to understand the society would have looked down on him for that. But he did it anyway. And so the people he's leading to Christ, he's trying to set that example. Unfortunately... Some of the new believers in Thessalonica, and, and this is some of the things that you put together from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, there seems to be, one thing seems to be sure, there were some of the Thessalonicans that did not want to work. They did not want to work. They didn't like working. Now, some people believe that one part of it was that some of the people gave up their jobs so that they could, uh, because the Lord was coming back. They knew the Lord was coming back, so they gave up their jobs. So what in the meantime? So in the meantime, it fell to the church to take care of the people that weren't working. And what we find out in a little bit, it also fell to the world, to where now they're trying to get people that aren't even saved to help take care of them. So he's telling them the context of defraud not your brother, the context in this sense is that they were uh, people who could have started working, there are people that could have got jobs, but they didn't get jobs, and then they're kind of defrauding their brother in the sense that they're coming and saying, oh, poor pitiful me. Now, we've got a benevolence fund, and we've got it for a reason, and people fall on hard times. Hard-working people fall on hard times. Uh, hard-working people uh, can uh, get uh, injured and hurt, and there's a lot of things that can happen with that. And so we're not talking anything about that. But one of the things that we got to guard against is the same way in our society, again, we don't see it in, in our church, but what was going on in this church is people that could have just, you know, I, I guess it, it's, it's, it, it's like this thing with me when I've had people that's trying to get money from me, and, uh, you know, and, and just like several years ago, we had our cable turned off, we've had it, we, we didn't get the cable again, but um, we've got some of the other streaming stuff, so I don't want to act like I don't have anything. But, but years ago, we just got, we, we got rid of DirecTV, uh, we got rid of some of these other things. I don't stop at the convenience store, I'm not judging you if you do, but I'm talking about just being cheap, okay, uh, trying to save money. I don't go by the convenience store and buy pops and stuff, and I don't stop, and I don't go, go by fast food restaurants uh, every week or anything like that. I'm not judging you if you do all those things. Hear me out, okay? Because I'm trying to save a few bucks. And then somebody comes trying to get money from me from me because I've been able to accumulate a few bucks now I've got 40 bucks and then you want to come try to borrow 20 bucks from me and I'm sitting there looking at you like dude you smoke you stop at Casey's you stop at every Casey's we pass um, you got cable and I'm like no no get your cable cut off there's 100 bucks right there at least right Don't be coming at it for me. Oh, preacher, you've got a hundred bucks. Can I borrow it? No, I got a hundred bucks because I got my cable. I turned my cable off. Not so I could pay for your cable, right? Uh, But so anyway, I'm saying that defrauding in in this context, the defrauding, the specific uh, context was these people that didn't want to work. And they were trying to just get something. They were defrauding their brother. However, it doesn't only apply to that. He says, don't defraud your brother in anything. But it actually goes all the way ahead to verses 11 and 12. This is where it all ties in back to that same thing, honoring your brother. Verse number 10, And indeed, do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and that you do your own business, and here's what I was, you could see the reference here, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So the, their problem was, apparently, and you can read about it in 2 Thessalonians as well, there were some issues going on with that in the church. But, uh, but either way, whether it's, but it, what, what, in, in whatever way it is, we honor God with our bodies, but we also honor God by being right with our brothers, not defrauding our brothers Galatians 5:16 says, this I say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. so because everybody can have a tendency to want to do wrong things that's a profound statement isn't it? Uh, but if we walk in the spirit we won't fulfill we have been given the power to Uh, live a holy life. See, God doesn't just say, hey, you need to walk in holiness. He says, no, I'm I'm, I'm telling you some things that God's doing in your life so that you can walk in holiness, so that you can overcome fornication and adultery, so you can overcome defrauding one another, so you can uh, walk in victory. And so a holy walk involves a right relationship with God the Father who called us. It involves the right relationship with God the Son who died for us, and it involves a proper relationship with God the Spirit who lives within us. To despise God's commandments is to invite the judgment of God and also to grieve the Spirit of God. And that's one of the things he says here. And again, I jumped around because these two kind of went together. But what it lets us know is that there is a judgment that comes along. Oh yeah, verse six, that and that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. So he's specifically talking to him about that. But it's broad because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have testified and forewarned and testified and, and forewarned and testified. So there's obviously judgment that comes with that. But as we yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God empowers us to walk in holiness and not be detoured by the lust of the world and the lust of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit that you can read about in Galatians chapter 5 works, overcomes the works of the flesh. And then uh, lastly, I'm going to jump back here and give you this last point here of this passage. To honor, talking about honoring God, and walking in holiness, but also to walk in harmony. Walk in harmony. Man, I totally skipped a whole page there, I think. Walk in harmony. Uh, verses 9 and 10, notice what they say. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So again, walking in harmony. Man, love one another. That's what he's commanding them. Love one another. Walk in harmony. Walk in love one toward another. Just as God's love is a holy love, so our love for God and for one another ought to motivate us to holy living. Think about that. He's saying in verse 6, don't sin against your brother. Don't sin against your brother. But what did Jesus say? What's the golden rule? Not the golden rule is doing to others you'd have them do unto yourselves. But Jesus said, what's the two greatest commandments? He answered that question by saying, uh, love God, love your neighbor. He said, because it's all fulfilled in that. Because if you love God, you're not going to have any other gods before him. You're not going to make any other graven images. You're not going to do any of that. Right, and, and if you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet. You're not going to commit adultery. you're you know, And right on down the line, uh, if you love your brother, because love, uh, if we love our brother, we don't want to sin against our brother. So love, obviously, is powerful. Uh, in the Greek language, there's four basic words for love. Uh, there's eros, which refers to physical love. We get our word erotic from the Greek word eros, which refers to physical love. But this does not, it doesn't always mean a sinful love, even though it was mainly used that way in Paul's day, but it's never, this word's never actually used in the New Testament, it just means a physical love. But then there's another word for love, that is uh, storge. Storge refers to a family love, a love that like parents have for their children. Uh, Again, this was a, a word that was used in Paul's day, but not used in the New Testament, but it's very similar to the word used where the Bible says in Romans 12, be kindly affectioned one to another. Just that idea of family love. Now, that's where a word that you do know, Philadelphia, comes from the word phileo, which means that that does translate as brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love because it's named after philia, Philadelphia. That familial love. So because Christians belong to the same family and have the same father, they should love one another. In fact, the Bible says here that we are taught of God. He says you have no need that somebody teach you this. Notice verse number 9 again. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. We are taught of God. God the Father taught us to love one another when he gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross. God the Father taught us that. God the Son taught us to love one another when He died on the cross for our sins. And when He told us a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. The Holy Spirit taught us to love one another when the Bible says in Romans 5, 5 that He's poured out the love of God in our hearts. He's poured out the love of God in our hearts when we trusted Christ. You ever think about this? Fish do not attend classes to learn how to swim even though they do swim in schools. And birds, by nature, uh, put out their wings and flap them in order to fly. Its nature determines its action. A fish swims because it's a swim. No, it's a fish. A bird flies because it's a bird. It's a swim. It's a bird. All right? So the idea is, If you and I have the nature of God within us, we love. Why? Because God is love. So we love one another. But I find it interesting, don't you? You have no need that I write this unto you. Well, I guess God thought different, didn't He? Because He wrote it to them. Love one another. Love one another. You know why? Because although we know, because that is our nature as a child of God, if you're a child of God, you have a new nature, and that nature just includes, man, just loving the brothers and sisters. If there's a problem. You still got an old nature. And that old nature is selfish. And that old nature is petty. And that old nature is downright mean. Is that not right? Uh, and so, uh, so we've got to, but, but again, what's watch the answer? It's walking in the Spirit. But we've got to work on love. I mean, love, you know, somebody said it this way, love without sacrifice is hypocrisy. Uh, love without sacrifice is hypocrisy. Uh, no, and, uh, and love, oh, shoot, I should have wrote the quote down. But the fact of the matter is, not everything, we looked at four different ways of love. Man, the love we ought to have one, one toward another. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Is that not right? Love covers a multitude of sins. We love one another. And I'm telling you, if if you want an idea or a model on how we're supposed to love one another, look at the way God loves you. It bothers me to think about about a Christian not being patient with another Christian. That bothers me big time. Because I ask that Christian, is God not patient with you? A lot more patient than you have to be with this person really bothers me when a Christian is not patient toward another Christian. And a Christian is not forgiving toward another Christian. Are you serious? Does God not have to forgive you? We set ourselves up almost greater than God sometimes. We hold on to an offense more than God holds on to an offense. What right do you have to do that exactly? You've been forgiven and you have to be forgiven, not only by God, but we have to be forgiven by other people. So we need to make sure But I'm telling you, we got that flesh that just works against us. We have that old nature. But again, the answer is to that, walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in God's ways. And we'll be able to do that by the grace of Almighty God. Because, and somebody, you know, it's, it's, the, old, it's the old question... You've got the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And unfortunately, some people seem to almost be taught that you can eradicate the old nature. But what happens sometimes with people is they they think that, and then they just try to sanctify their old nature by the things that they do. And that's why performance-based Christianity can be such a problem sometimes. Oh, I'm doing, 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 and I'm not doing, not doing, not doing. But what a lot of times what we're doing is we're all, we're making up for bad attitudes, and we're making up for unforgiveness. We're making up for bitterness. That's why you have so many people that can. I mean, I'm telling you, man, churches are full of them. I mean, uh, that that people that do a lot of stuff and do a lot of stuff well. But again, it's not as much about. See, people get so caught up on performance, they forget about the process. The process is holiness. The process is sanctification, but people are just trying to push for that end result. They forget about the process and they, they get hung up on that end result. Well that's what the Pharisees did. They, they forget about that and they just try to make it look good, but what you end up doing is you end up putting pig, you end up putting lipstick on a hog. Is all we end up doing with that. But with the, with the grace of God, we understand, no, I'm not trying to reform my old nature. My old nature is lost. My old nature is hopeless. You need to understand your old nature is hopeless. God doesn't say, get your old nature better now. No. He says, die to the old nature. And let the Spirit of God, the power of God, live the new man through you. So that's the answer to that brotherly love. I love, don't you, aren't you glad that we got one another, have a loving church, Amen love one another, care about each other, patient with one another. Um, But it's not always easy because we're people. We're people. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, walk in honesty. Uh, Again, verses 11 and 12, I I got off. I think I switched to the wrong page here. But the Bible says, "...and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing." Um, And so here the attention kind of turns outward also because he says, Walk honestly toward them that are without. May God help our lives to continue to show those that are without. May we as a church live our lives in such a way to where those who are without see and know the love of Christ that we have for one another and for them. And again, the, the real direct, real tough context of that was that these were people that apparently weren't too big on working with their hands and were having a bad testimony to, you know, maybe uh, laborers and people in the community because of the, their lack of willingness to, uh, maybe it was to pay their bills or maybe it was to, uh, whatever it may have been, but there seemed to be some issues with the character of some of the Thessalonican believers, so but it does, it does go to show you that it matters that that we influence the world around us for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh appreciate your patience tonight. I believe we'll call it good right there. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness and blessing in our lives and how I pray, dear God, that you'll help us to walk, truly walk in holiness, Lord, to, to continue to abound more and more. Lord, I pray that you'll just... Work in our hearts in such a way, God. Help us to recognize that old flesh that we fight against, that old nature. Uh, God, it doesn't need to be reformed, and it's not gone. We need to recognize it's there, but we need to die to it daily. We need to die to it many times a day, Lord, and be alive to the spirit of God and the work of God in our hearts and lives, dear Lord. Help us to continue to love one another, to love and care about those that are without. Help us to walk in holiness, dear God. Give us victory over uh, the temptations that we face naturally. And help us to walk and help us to keep our hearts and our minds pure and clean and holy and abound more and more in you, Lord. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.